Well, welcome everybody. So good to be at church together, hanging out. Welcome to church. Amen. Welcome to church. Welcome online, everyone. I, if you're, I love if you're here and, and you feel like today, um, you're just saying, I don't, I don't think I believe any of this. Welcome. Welcome. Like, I'm so super, super glad you're here. I, I think that in these eyewitness accounts that we find in the New Testament, that's the second part of the book, the people who walked with Jesus real close, they recorded what they saw. And around Jesus all the time were people who said, I kind of like being around you, Jesus, but I'm not sure that I believe some of the things that you're claiming because his claims were, I mean, literally out of this world. He had bold claims. That, that's why we're doing this series called That's What He Said because he says some things in some moments where if you just spend a few short moments with Jesus, maybe when he's on a hillside preaching to a group of people or he's standing before the ruling authorities of that day or just you get a peek into a moment where the 12 followers, the 12 apostles are with him and they're under a tree and Jesus says some things in just a few short moments there are probably, if you were like taking notes, you'd be like, I got to put a pin in that and think about that later. Oh my goodness, I don't understand that. I'm going to have to ask for some clarification there. This one scares me. This one I don't like. I mean, just a few short moments of being around Jesus, all, you could have all of those emotions. And so we wanted to take a while uh, to say, man, as a church, let's gather around some of the things that Jesus said that maybe we don't fully understand or that we're curious about or honestly, maybe that just bother us. And then all of us, even people who say, I don't believe yet, let's all look at some of the things that Jesus said. And so today, as we dive in and we look at one of the things that Jesus said, I want you to know what actually happens in Mark chapter eight. If you got your Bibles with you, pull those out. If you're using uh, some technology, go ahead and pull that app up. Mark chapter eight. There's 16 chapters of Mark. Mark is the one who just moves really fast. What happens here is there's a secret meeting that's going on. There's this kind of meeting that happens that not everyone's invited to. And where it happens is very significant. You know, when someone says something, our kids will come to me and they'll replay what one of the other boys said. So-and-so said this. And I'm like, well, what did you do before that? Okay. We call that in, in the court of mom and dad at the Scott house, we call that context. Okay. It's like, that might not have been an appropriate response to you, but what did you say first? And so we've got a context is where were you at? What was everyone feeling? What did you just experience? What happened the day before? What's getting ready to happen? And Jesus says this thing. Our, that's what he said moment. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news, they will save it. What's going on when Jesus says this thing, this quote? This quote that's probably misunderstood, this quote that might have been used at times to do things that maybe Jesus didn't intend. And it, it happens right around what I would call uh, the biggest question of all time. I mean... Some of you are thinking, oh, I know that one. Have you been vaccinated? No, that is, that is a really big question of like right now. Like, I think I've talked to people about that more in the last three weeks than anything I've ever talked with about anyone. 
In Mark chapter 8, in this secret meeting with just the guys around, just these 12 apostles, Jesus asked this question starting in verse 27. Jesus, his disciples, they went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. That's a town north of the Galilee. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Who do... Who do people say I am? What do people say about me? Now, the, the difference when we ask that question, what do people say about me? And you ever ask that question? Hey, what, what do people say about me? We really want to know. Jesus actually, he doesn't need to know the answer. He needs for those 12 guys to know the answer. And the answer to this biggest question of all time, it's a, it's a big deal. Because if Jesus is in fact who he claims to be, the son of the living God. It is the biggest question of all time. There's a, what I would say, maybe one of the, the, the finest writers from about a century ago and uh, one of the greatest minds when it comes to just thinking logically. His name is C.S. Lewis. And he, you've probably maybe seen Chronicles of Narnia, uh, some great, uh, he's got a lot of short stories he wrote. But C.S. Lewis, I think one of the most famous things he ever did is he kind of worked out, looking at the words of Jesus, what he would call three boxes that you could put Jesus in. And then he makes a bold claim. He says, Jesus has to fit in one of these three boxes. There is not another option. Just logically looking at everything that Jesus said from these guys who recorded it as he did it and they lived it. We call that an eyewitness. He has to fit in one of these three boxes. You would probably understand how someone could think, yeah, he fits in all three of these. The first one I would present to you is Lewis says Jesus could be, by some of the things he says, he could be crazy. I mean, he claims at one point in time to be older than Abraham. I just want to let you know that's, that's thousands of years old. If you have a friend in your life and they claim to be, they might feel a thousand years old. But if they claim to be a thousand years old, that would be a warning sign for a cray cray. Okay? And Jesus did that. Matter of fact, Jesus did that in the most kind of like intimate and personal of ways for anyone who was a Jew. We've got a big, a big meal that our culture understands and celebrates. We call it Thanksgiving. We understand the meaning behind that meal and the family and the, the things that are said and how we look forward to that meal. They had one that, it's, it's a way bigger deal. It just is because theirs had been celebrated not just for 240 years, but for over 2,000 years called Passover. Passover celebrates this moment where God calls a people group called the, the Israelites and calls them out of Egypt and forms them into a great nation. That's his promise that he would do that. And when Moses, who is the leader of these people who are enslaved in the land of Egypt, goes before the Pharaoh and he says, let these people go. The Pharaoh, who is the most powerful person in the world, says, by what authority do you demand that I let these people go? Moses' answer was, the great I am. 
The great I am tells you, Moses, to let these people go. Fast forward 2,000 years, Jesus stands before all kinds of people, the rulers of that day and age, common people, and he says, I am the bread of life, John 6, 34. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. I am the door of the sheep, John 10, 7. I am a good shepherd, John 10, 11. I'm the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25. I am truth and life, John 14. I'm the vine. Let's not forget, he said before Abraham was, I was born. Jesus, in the most intimate of ways, comes to these people and says, that meal that your family and you have been celebrating for generations upon generations, do you know what that meal's about? It's about me. He would have to be crazy to say that if it were not true. That's one box that Lewis says you can put Jesus in. The second box that you could logically put Jesus in would just be that he is a liar. That he just lied. I mean, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? I I think the answer is one. And all of those things I just read to you that Jesus claimed to be, if he's not crazy and just like, well, he's, he's, he's not, you know, lying. He's just out of his mind. Don't listen to him. Like, lock him up, right? The other option is that he is this diabolical, pathological, intentional liar who just said things that were uncategorically, like, they're untrue. That's logically one option to answer that question. When Jesus says, who do people say I am? Well, you could be crazy. You could be a liar. There is only one other box. The only other logical explanation to who Jesus is today, was then, is that he is the son of the living God who set the cornerstone of the foundations of the world into place as the spirit of God hovered over the waters. Amen? But now, I hear, I heard it this week. I sat with a new friend this week, and I do this lots of times. I love to have conversations with people that I disagree with and just, you know, not not throw things at each other, but just like listen. And I had had a really cool, fun, engaging conversation with someone who believes the total opposite of me, respectful, and we talked about some things, and I hear this all the time, but I heard it this week. Someone, Someone said to me, they said, well, Jesus was possibly just born, and he was a way to God at that time, and he was a a, a child of God, but maybe there was another child that was born at at some other point in time, and I believe this. I believe, they said this, that Jesus was a really good teacher of, of things that we should follow in morals. Jesus cut that option off. There is no fourth box. That's not an option. Well, why can't Jesus just be a good teacher? Here's why, because you know what good teachers don't do? Good teachers don't lie. And if Jesus was only a good teacher, he never would have said something so bold as, me and the Father, we talked about this last week. Go back, rewind, watch it when you get home. Me and the Father, we're one. And if you want to see the God of all creation, All you have to do is look at me. A good teacher wouldn't say that to a student if it was a lie. So Jesus cut off the option by these bold claims for anyone to say, I think Jesus was just a good teacher. He has to be the Lord of everything, a liar or a lunatic. This 
apology, this reason for our faith, is an incredible kind of pathway to asking what Jesus asked. Who do people say that I am? Now, you got to know. you got to know where they're at. This is going to... This might be new to some of you. It, it was new to me not too long ago. On a trip to Israel not too long ago, one of the times we went, and just about 25 miles north of the Galilee. The Galilee is a small lake. If you've been on a lake in Florida, you know, you can see the other side. It's a small lake. That's where a lot of Jews live, and Jesus did his ministry. Things were heating up, and they left the Galilee after Jesus did a lot of miracles, and they went to about 25 miles north to this kind of, really is a Syrian community called Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, named after the ruler that was there. And for about 400 years in this town, there's a massive mountain that's there, and there's a god of that mountain named Pan. You can see right here what that would have looked like. It was an elaborate temple area. Incredible money was poured. The Hellenization, 400 years before Christ, as Alexander Campbell brought Greek ideology to the area, he also brought Greek pagan gods. And on this hillside, hundreds of people for 400 years were coming to a hole in the wall. Literally. And what they believed about this hole in the wall was that it was a gate to the underworld. And that the gods would sleep there in the winter. And there was, a little, there was a little water source that came out of that gate. And so they, they believed that water was a, a kind of like a passageway to get to the underworld. So they would go to this temple area, everyone from all of those villages, and they would do cultish and pagan activities. I'm, I'm, I'm being really careful here, okay? It was, let's call it this, this was the red light district, Okay, we've got this group here at our church, an incredible ministry of our church that ministers to homeschool parents and homeschool kids. It's called SALT. And a lot of people are involved in it. It does an incredible job helping homeschool parents. I got to tell you that I, I was thinking this week uh, as I was talking to some of our leaders of this incredible ministry of our church called SALT, this homeschool group, that this place that Jesus took the 12 would not be on an approved list for the homeschool group to go and visit. Right? Okay, guys, we're here today at the Mountain of Pan. And kids, close your eyes because uh, there's terrible things happening. I mean, the, the 12 apostles, just think about it. They're, they're Jews and they've lived their whole life following these rules. And they've got to be thinking like, what's Jesus thinking bringing us here? I mean, you, you've heard the famous Bob Dylan song, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And then Guns N' Roses did it really well, right? Um, man, come on. There are no child of the 80s in this service. So don't. Some of you are like, We're, just act like you don't know what he's talking about. He said guns and roses. Don't pretend like you don't know. Well, this was knock, knock, knocking on the gates of hell. It was literally called, this place, this hole in the wall was called the gates of hell. And they would go and say, gods, bring us fertility. And Jesus stands right there, all of these communities coming to this place to do these cultish pagan acts to the honor of dead gods. And they're like, gods, wake up. Spring, bring forth the gods. And Jesus stands there. And he says, who do the people 
say that I am? You guys know what a setup question is, right? We, we have a, a famous setup question in our house. It's when one of our kids come to us and they go, you love me, right? I look at my wife and I'm like, that's the setup. And then we do the countdown. It's the countdown to manipulation, right? Three, two, one. There's the question they're really going to ask, right? And we, people are totally okay with this first question. When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? I, no one has a hard time talking about that. And here's what we do. The first thing that we do when that question is asked is we start to talk about, well, when I grew up, everyone around me, my parents taught me this. My parents did this. The school I went to taught this. All these other people taught this. I, I learned this from other people, and everyone's okay with that. But what Jesus does is Jesus says, "What? this is the biggest question of your life. This is not just the biggest question of all time, but there's this impact it makes on you because Jesus has to be one of these three things and not answering the question. If you're like, I'm not going to participate in that big question. That is in itself an answer. You're saying, if you're saying I'm not going to participate in a given answer, then you have admitted to at least two. He might be crazy and he might be a liar. Jesus gets so personal in verse 28, the next verse. See, they replied and they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others, you know, say you might want to be one of the other prophets. And this is what we do. We're like, well, they believe this. Well, they believe this. You know, my parents thought this, and they raised me this way. And then Jesus says this to them. This is why we have a conversation with Jesus. Right now, you're knee to knee. He looks at them, and he looks at you right now. And Jesus says this, but what about you? He asks, who do you say I am? And your answer to that question has nothing to do with what anyone else believes. Jesus looks at you and he says, who do you really think I am? And it will impact forever. And Peter, he's, he's always the first to answer, which means sometimes he's just got a brilliant answer and other times it's a total train wreck, okay? This is one of the moments, and it, Peter's like us. That's why he's one of my one of my favorite people in the Bible because in one moment he'll get the answer right, maybe totally guessing, and then the next moment he'll botch it up. And he does that right here, literally within seconds of one another. He, he answers Jesus and he says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. I'm going to tell you what this is right here. This is one of the first and shortest and most perfect worship sessions that ever happened. This right here, when, when Peter says, I know who you are, you are the Messiah. This is exactly what we do when we gather together. Everything about us getting together on Sunday is replicating what Peter did. We're having a worship session. What a real worship session is, is telling God, this is who you are, Jesus. You are the way maker. You are the one that provides. You are our hope. You are our redeemer. You are truly the son of God. And it's incredible. And Jesus, his answer, the very next verse, verse 30, is weird. But it's what he said. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Some of us live in a Mark 8.30 worship session. That's our life. We're like, my life verse is, you know, Mark 8.30, don't tell anyone about Jesus. It's my life first. It's got a bumper sticker on the back. I know he's the Messiah, but shh, don't tell anybody. It's weird. 
See, this is why we have to understand context. At that time, Jesus was completely controlling when they were going to come and take him. And there was a very specific day on a very specific month on a very specific year that was foretold by Daniel over 400 years before. And Jesus was going to go at the exact time that the nation of Israel would take a lamb into their home and sacrifice a lamb for the Passover. And this is why Jesus says, I am the lamb of God, the last one. You'll never need another one. My blood covers all sin, all sin in the past, all sin in the future for those who believe that I'm the son of God. So back to the secret huddle. I really want you to get that picture. Picture them under a tree, hanging out. Think all the people that are coming to those elaborate buildings and those, those places there in front of that mountain and you got those different caves and they're doing their mumbo jumbo and they're calling on dead gods and Jesus and his 12, they're over underneath the tree and Jesus says this, I'm going to suffer. His message in the secret huddle, what's the big secret in the secret huddle? The secret in the secret huddle was this right here. It's one of the first times Jesus ever let it out. He began to teach them that the son of man, that's his own title for himself, he chose it. He calls himself the son of man because he says, I'm going to do what Adam couldn't do. I'm, I'm going to live righteously. So he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed. Right here is where Peter stopped listening. Jesus isn't done talking. Peter stopped listening. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer and be killed. But then Jesus, and continuing, he says, after that, three days be raised again. He spoke plainly about this, Mark says. Let me interpret for you from Mark. Mark's like, it was very clear what Jesus was saying. Peter didn't understand, okay? Peter was slow to listen. Some of us have been slow to listen. I've been slow to listen. I've been told this, right? It's been shown to me by the Lord. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's a word we don't use, right? Hey, could you come to my office at two? I'd like to rebuke you, right? We all know what's going to happen. We know what a rebuke is. We just, our tone implies that we just don't say it, right? But Peter, I mean, Peter, he's, he's, it's kind of makes sense where a friend comes to you. If a friend comes to you and says, hey, my life is going to get worse, and then it's going to get worse, and then it's going to end, you'd be like, oh, buddy, come on, positive thoughts, man. Like, let's, let's not talk downers like we, things are going to get better, right? Like just be a good neighbor, be in his life, right? And it sounds like Peter's saying that, but Peter's got some skin in the game. See, Peter's been following Jesus for some time now. Peter left a job that paid money, right? He's invested into this new startup company because Peter might get something out of it. Hey, babe, he tells his wife, I'm going to be gone for three years. I'm following this guy named Jesus, and I'm not going to be making any money. But he might be the ruler over a country, and I could be like vice president of something. And she, she's like, okay, three years, let's try it. And then he gets to this place, this pagan worship place, and Jesus starts telling him, yeah, I'm going to die. It's just not going to work out the way you guys thought. Peter's like, whoa, that's a bad idea. I had other plans. I told my wife about it, my mother-in-law. She's like, why are you following this guy? He's like, vice president one day, mom.
We don't like to suffer. I don't know all of you really well, but I know in my own life, I've not learned much during moments of comfort. I learn at an incredible rate when I'm in pain, very quickly. See, this is a moment where uh, Peter gets it right in one moment, you're the Messiah, but then two seconds later, he gets it, he gets it wrong. He gets it dead wrong. He's like, Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. See, Jesus used to call Peter the rock. A rock can be one of two things. A rock can be a stumbling block on the path that makes everyone trip, stub their toe, fall down, and just screws up the whole road, hurts everybody. Or the rock can be something that's a solid foundation that you can build your life on. Verse 33, something happens that uh, it really is kind of the heart of what we're talking about today. You gotta know your adversary. You gotta know what you're actually fighting against. You gotta know your adversary. Verse 33, here's what Jesus does after Peter trying to slow his roll. Jesus, uh, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I mean, you talk about a scenario escalating really quick. They're having a picnic. They're at a place that, you know, maybe the apostles wouldn't have chosen for the day's adventure, but they're underneath the tree. Jesus is talking to them, and Peter pulls a friend aside and says, you know, let's have positive thoughts. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, you're Satan. I mean, that's pretty intense, right? That's actually what happens here. But Jesus is rebuking the spirit in which Peter is speaking. See, some of us are, we have no idea in the cosmic realms where Satan is actually at right now. Satan is not in hell. Satan right now is not in hell. See, in Hebrew thought, Satan is not a proper name. It's a common noun, and it means simply this, adversary. Satan is an adversary. That's, so the Jews, right, they would, they would think of Satan in this name as an adversary. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, adversary, get behind me. You are against me. Stop hindering me is what Matthew's account says. You're stopping what I'm trying to do and you're worried about things that only humans worry about and I've got bigger plans than what humans can even imagine. Stop it. You're an adversary. The book of Job, Job 1.9. Oldest book written in here. We get a picture of where Satan is actually allowed to go. You know that he was kicked out of heaven, right? He got kicked out because of the rebel. So here's what that means. He also knows the back door and he knows how to get up there. In Job 1.9, you know where Satan is? He's at the throne room with God. And you know what he's doing? He's accusing. Satan, in his number one job, is an accuser. First Chronicles 21.1, Satan leaves to go and tempt David. So if Satan's not doing his number one job, which is at the throne of God saying, see what they did, see what they did, kill them, smite them, they're a mess. Your people, they're a joke. Get them, God, get them. If he's not accusing people, he's tempting people so that he can go back and accuse people. So if he's not in heaven looking at God going, what a mess, what a mess, then he's down here roaming around earth trying to tempt you so he can go back and then accuse. And the problem is some of us don't know what our adversary is. See, if you understand that Satan is the accuser and he's your adversary, you start to fight things differently. See, carbs are not your adversary. 
The HOA, the IRS, people, people who look different, vote different, and think different to you. That's not your adversary, but you're fighting a war as if those things are your adversary. And what Jesus says is, you're worried about things that are mere human. That's less. Mere, right? When you do something and someone says, this is a mere attempt, that's degrading. It's less than. Jesus says, mere human things. There's another level of concern that matters greater. When you get clarity, clarity, clear vision on who your adversary really is, you start to fight very differently. You start using spiritual weapons to fight spiritual battles. And the clouding of your mind right now about who your adversary really is, is killing some of you. And I'm speaking because I live that. I start to do things and concentrate on things and think on things that are merely human. And God says, bro, get your head out of that. That is a hindrance to what I'm really trying to do. I love how the book ends. Revelation's the last book in the Bible. It's the one book that's going to happen in the future. Do you, do you understand that in Revelation 12, 10, this is when we finally see what happens to the accuser? Here's what it says. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God, the authority of his Messiah for the accuser. Sound familiar? the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down into the sea. A day is coming where Satan is no longer going to be allowed to go before God and say, look at what they did, man. Look at what they did. And God is going to say, done with this game. Now you're going to hell. It is at this moment that Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, I know you've messed up a bunch, bro, but listen. You're not going to be the rock that is a hindrance. You're not going to be the rock that is worried about these things. Jesus says this, standing in front of the gates of hell, the God of Pan. Jesus says, Peter, upon you, I'm going to build a church because you're going to be a rock that's going to be a solid foundation that proclaims what I've done with my life and who I am because you said I'm the Messiah. And Jesus said these words standing in that moment. The church that I build, the gates of hell will not stand against it. Standing in front of the gates of hell, Jesus said, these people that don't understand what's going on and the demonic forces that are at play here, the church that we build, we are going to go into this place. We're not going to go into this place to hurt these people. We're going to go into this place to shed the light that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. What an incredible thing that happens in this moment. Here's the ending. This is the end of it. Jesus had been talking to the 12 in this crazy place. And then he tells the secret of the secret meeting to everybody. Verse 34, the end of it. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my discipler must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, they will save it. Now what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me 
and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when my Father comes in his glory with holy angels. Jesus links together in this moment not being ashamed of who he is. Linked with living for the gospel. He says, don't be ashamed of the fact that I'm the Messiah. Well, Jesus, you just told us to keep it quiet for a minute. He's like, that time is going to draw to an end. The time to keep quiet was a very short, few months long period. Jesus died. He rose from the grave and he told them, go and tell everybody what I've done. I am the son of God and I've proven it because I rose from the grave. You know what people don't go to prison for? What people don't go to jail for? What people don't go to their death for? Liars and lunatics. I will, man, I'm, I'm not going to go to the, the, in front of the, the jury. Take a day off work with my busy schedule and testify for someone who's crazy or a liar. I'm definitely not going to die for it. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people have died for this fact that he is not crazy. And he is not a liar. But he is this. He is the son of the living God. And they have confessed him as their savior. You, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Man, you can belong, and we can love you, and we can treat you with kindness, but I don't know when you're going to die. I don't know, man. But there are only three boxes to this question. He is a liar, he is crazy, or he is the Son of God. And everyone has to answer the question. And Jesus reaches out through time, and he asks you this one simple question. Who do you say that I am? We have to answer that question. It wasn't just for them. It's for me. It's for you. And he so desperately wants you to hear who he is. Believe that he's the son of God. Confess. Repent of your sin. Be obedient to baptism. And live a life of freedom. You've tried some other things. How are they working for you? Maybe maybe try the third box. That he is the Lord. Man, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close. And in this moment, as we wrap it all up, this is your time for a knee-to-knee, setting down with Jesus, conversation with him. What are you going to say when he's, he looks you in the eye and Jesus says, who do you think I am? Maybe some of you need to ask a question. Jesus, I don't know what it means to carry my cross. I don't know what it is you want me to pick up and carry and the suffering you want me to say, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to, I've been running from it, but now I'm going to do it for you. So Jesus, would you help me? Would you help me figure that out? Some of you need to say that. Some of you might need to say, this might be your time to say this to Jesus. How can I lose my life in a good way? How can I invest my life in a good way so that I can gain it for eternity? Help me with that, Jesus. Some of you need to pray this prayer right now. This is a big one. Jesus, give me courage to believe in some of the things that I can't see. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Help me believe that. Some of you need to say, Jesus, help me stop with earthly concerns, merely human concerns. I'm just bogged down with it and I'm hindering you. 
And you're looking at me and you're saying, stop listening to the adversary. Stop listening to the accuser. Stop with that. And get your mind on things that are bigger. Some of you simply need to say this, Jesus, help me identify where the adversary and the accuser is in my life and I'm listening to him. This is your time. And so Jesus, help us answer that simple question. Who do we say that you are? Are we ready to say that you're the way maker? That you are the redeemer? Would you hear us as we answer you? It's in your name we come before you. Declaring what we believe you are.